This is episode 47 of Brick and Data, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. We cover trending retail headlines, interview some of the biggest players, surface game changer technologies, and explore how retailers are surviving and thriving. Coming up in this episode. Three things we learned at Shop Talk. A Shop Talk session reaction. Wonder Twin Powers activate. Weird news of the week. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris. As always, I am joined by my co-host and retail extraordinaire, Jose Chan. Well, thank you, Todd. Hi, Todd. Hi, everyone. (laughs) All right, Jose. So we've got got an overdue episode here. Uh, Well, maybe not overdue, but it's it's an episode. Um, And we want to talk a few things here. So we're going to start here with, we're going to start with Shop Talk because that was the most, the recent thing that we were both at. And we have some opinions and stuff to talk about, just like I think every other podcaster and talking head does in retail. Am I right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we'll see how our talking heads do this time. So why don't we go over our takeaways? So there were, uh, I guess we could boil it down. Like I always like to, when I read a blog post or when I, you know, talk to somebody, I like to try to boil things down, you know, right into, or if I tell my 14 year old, you know, what, what, what he has to do this morning on a Saturday. Okay, Tyler, <laughs> there's three things you have to do this morning. Drink out the trash. Blah, 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 and blah, 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 you know, the last two obviously are very important. Um, and he does them maybe or doesn't do them, but I think this will be a nice way we can kind of look at these takeaways as something tangible. So sure. uh, why don't you dive in for us here, Jose? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I think one of the majors, or we think, not just me, I think we, we both agreed on this, uh, you and I, Todd, that retailers spent a lot of time legitimizing their raison d'etre, their Ooh. reason for being. Ooh. Right? I feel so educated now. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the main idea is that not only must retailers differentiate themselves from Amazon, but they also have to differentiate themselves from each other in order to represent a um, particular, uh, let's say, or present rather a particular mindset in the consumer's mind. Um, otherwise, they're just not going to survive. I mean, we, we often talk about this. Um, and we saw, you and I saw quite a, mm-hmm. a bit of, um, we saw quite a few tracks at Shop Talk. And I, I'm not sure I fully agree with them, all everything that I saw, but I do agree with this key, key tenant here that we just uh, emphasized. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of, is the word prostrating? Is that the word? Where there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of chatter and talk and, Maybe that's not a word. Maybe I just, yeah, who knows? Anyway. Posturing? Pro- posturing? I thought it was prost- prostrating. No, not pro. Okay. Posturing, maybe? Well, posturing, possibly. Possibly something else. Maybe I just made up another word. I have this thing I'm doing now where I'm making words up all the time. You're creative. That's oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's not okay. Um, so, yes, I mean, they're absolutely, they're absolutely trying to make a case for their own existence and uh, showing the world and, of course, the most important part of their world, their investors, uh, that they are making efforts, whether it, you know whether it's efforts that you know Amazon has already made and succeeded with, 
or if it's, uh, you know, their own internal initiatives that are special and unique. So, you know, an example of that is Walmart's Store 8, uh, you know, kind of incubator, which is unique to them. Um, and there was another retailer that was talking about, which moves us to the second takeaway, talking about same, de- same day delivery. Um, this was being touted by them as being the latest and greatest thing. Whereas for the rest of us, those that are, you know, always ordering things online have expectations and they're essentially saying in this case, I think it was target that we are with you and we are offering same day delivery. That's great. Cause the fact is, is that it's still difficult regardless of who you order things from to have same day delivery <clears throat> without it perhaps being a little expensive or just not being available in your, you know, your, your plot of land in this world, or uh, maybe being, um, you know, just a little bit cost prohibitive considering what you want to spend to get your little doodad to your, uh, to your house in time. So that was another thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to add to that, look, I, I fully agree that uh, same day delivery is almost becoming table stakes at this point, right? And if we think of, of this, let's think of this in, in the general sense. Um, a lot of times we're talking about uh, different companies against Amazon, but ultimately we, we have to think about what are we really saying? We have to understand that Amazon is a tech company and partially a retailer mm-hmm. and any other um, part of the conversation or the equation would be a retailer that's just a retailer. So in effect, they're kind of competing against a, a portion of a tech company that's a retailer. And so with this, Part, part of the mindset has to be sticking to this uh, same-day delivery is that's it's good and well to follow up with this uh, table stakes piece. But at the same time, stores can't forget uh, what their main asset is and their differentiator is against Amazon. It's not just the fulfillment, but it's the fact that they have stores, um, physical stores that they could actually fulfill from for, and make this same-day delivery uh, a reality. That is it is a key thing, and I don't think I heard enough about that. Did you? And no, that shop I, talk? I didn't. No, 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 which is why I'm highlighting it. Yeah. Right? Because I agree with you. We, I didn't hear a whole lot about that. Everybody's like talking about the new technologies, new initiatives, new strategies, new this, new that. Great, but the core competency uh, or competitive advantage, rather, of a retailer is their physical locations, which Amazon, other than, let's say, let's hold grocery and and Whole Foods aside, and right. perhaps uh, the handful of electronic stores aside, um, they're online for the most part. Yeah, because I think it's, you know, I, I think coming out of that, I think it's a difficult problem to solve that they have. You know, it, it, it's, it's easy to come out and start talking about how they're going to use their stores to uh, get closer to the customer. And perhaps, you know, in this case, Target, I can't remember what what, what they did say, but Perhaps Target is going to use their their stores because there seems to be a Target within ten miles of of everybody in this uh, in these United States here. So that could be a thing, and that is a big thing for companies like uh, retailers like Target. But there are plenty of retailers out there that rely maybe on one warehouse that don't have any stores, right? So that that to them is is just goes in one ear out the other because it's not their not their challenge or not their business model at least. But exactly. that's more of a transition from old school retailer to to new school in that case. Ex- Exactly. And then, which brings us to the third point, right? Since we both Uh mentioned grocery, uh, this year, uh, new to Shop Talk being its third, let's say, third uh, edition, grocery uh, was a new, let's say, track that was added to the five tracks that they have uh, 
during the days of the the show. And it was said that this is where really the retail segment, this is the retail segment that will be disrupted this year going forward. And I felt, I think we saw part of that with with the acquisition of Whole Foods. Well, do you think, though, I mean, I guess there's a question that comes up there is, do you think that this would have been the big focus of Shop Talk if Amazon did not acquire Whole Foods this past year? Um, Probably not this edition. Yeah. Maybe in future editions, I think it would have eventually happened given the state of, of retail. But I think uh, this acquisition uh, did move the, the needle uh, more quickly, no doubt. if you will. No doubt. It definitely forced it forced the it forced the hand of 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 grocery, which is a good thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Except I was reading an article uh, yesterday uh, that, that that was talking about the the losers in this are going to be the medium to small size uh, grocery mm -hmm. uh, chains that are regional, right? That that don't have the wherewithal to to compete uh, in this you know um, space against the Amazons or let's say. The more sophisticated grocers out there. Yes, I, I think I think you're right. Um, there is there's also angles on, angles about the Amazon effect that it has on Whole Foods. That I guess some of those uh, results, the, those result, resulting business changes or operational changes, uh, don't make that many people happy. I guess you could say. I guess it's a sloppy way of saying it, but there are changes when you. You could say Amazonify something, right? You know, you're <laughs> you're taking a company like Whole Foods, which did did things a certain way, maybe really focused on you know waste being something that they don't want, or maybe focused on um, a certain way of training or a certain way of of fulfilling orders, even in the store. Meaning, like you know how you treat customers, or what sure. types of product you carry, or you know the the price point you stay at and don't move under, or you know these little things that made Whole Foods Whole Foods. In, in 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 microscopic ways have been shifting since the Amazon acquisition. So yes. that does change things, and then that in, in hand in hand, I think gives a, makes a makes a little bit easier for those smaller grocers to step into that old role that Whole Foods has, maybe as something different, special, and you know, unique in its own right. Hopefully, right? Those that that stay nice. standing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm a big proponent of of um, you know unique uh, businesses and and. Even let's even though we're talking about Amazon and the acquisition of Whole Foods, even that hasn't been, let's say, a home run per se. I mean, maybe it's been, right. you know, a, a little bit less than a home run. Bananas are cheaper that, now, so yeah, forty nine cents, right? <laughs> uh -huh. It used to be whole paycheck, right? Now, now it's I guess partial right. paycheck. Partial. Yeah. <laughs> Still walk in, spend a hundred dollars without blinking. So that is Easy. that is definitely a thing. Still. Easy. And and on the back end, I mean, there we you and I have seen a lot of articles, right, that that have talked about their uh, inventory issues, right, and the way mm -hmm. that they're uh, providing or allocating their inventory, where where they've had shortages or perhaps not even the right inventory mm -hmm. in the right stores, which has been a problem. And this is Amazon, right? And this is supposed to be the 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 company leading the charge, which is to say, and the reason I bring this up, it's to say that. We're still in the early days of the disruption of this particular retail segment because yep. they're even they're trying to figure out meeting Amazon. Yep, no doubt about that. And there's and there's there's plenty of other competitors in the space that specialize just in grocery delivery, right? Uh, what is it? Fresh? What is it? Uh, Fresh Direct? I think it's yes, called. Yes, Fresh Direct. Yeah. Um, 
you know, among like three or four others out there. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they have Amazon Fresh in their targets and and there is concern about that. But I think this that's going to be the part, at least that's what it seems like is going to be the, you know, a strong innovation side of, of, of grocery. You know, we're going to see a lot come out of that. Um, of course, offering that near immediate delivery of and the near immediate delivery of your orders, but also um, meeting the quality standards that everyone has when you go to a store yourself, you go to a grocery yourself, and you pick out your foods, your your pears, your apples, and such, and you want to hand it, you want to handhold it, and make sure it's perfect, just like how you would buy it. So there's standards that they're being held to, and I think that's going to be a another driver in grocery is you know how well does a grocer uh, handle that you know home delivery part of the business because that obviously in urban areas that's going to be huge too. Sure. So if it is already, right? Right, right. And and I'm a very picky shopper, meaning that I, I you describe me right there uh, to a T in the sense that I need to see, at least with the fresh pieces, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, the dry goods is a different story, right? It, I could easily order that online. I uh, don't want to carry it home or have it delivered. Now, with the fresh produce, I want to see exactly what I'm getting. I, I want to see the color of the apple, or the color of the banana, and it has to be a certain texture and such. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think what we're both saying really is that we're not the only ones who are thinking about this. So, how are grocers going to solve for this particular, let's say, nuance within the problem? Right. How do you deal with mega picky people? Ninety-eight <laughs> percent of your customers will throw that orange right back in your face. Say, right. Give me a new one. Yeah. No, not not really. Uh, so let, let's move forward here. We've, we, you know, we've talked through those three things we learned. So, you know, the retailers spent a lot of time legitimizing the reason to exist. Uh, the second one is same day delivery becoming the new norm. And third, groceries and next retail segment to be disrupted. So great. We'll see how uh, accurate shop talk is down the road when these, you know, all three of these perhaps migrate in their own way. And we'll see that in the form of, you know, innovations from retailers, uh, shipping innovations and times, times shrinking in terms of the time you order and the time you receive and uh, just in general innovation coming from retailers. So we'll see what happens there. But sticking on the Shop Talk path, uh, you and I both attended a fair amount of sessions at Shop Talk, and there was common themes between some sessions. But the one session that we maybe attended a couple together, but the one session I think you and I were both excited for, considering the topic of this podcast and the things we talk about, which is, you know, in-store technologies also, out-of-store experiences and uh, just in general that whole process from end-to-end purchase and the technologies and the data involved in that and the way things are changing, there was a session dedicated to that called the evolution of the retail store. And we both sat there listening to the three different speakers uh, that were being interviewed by, is it Panoanthos, right? From yes. XRC? Yeah. He, he did a great job just kind of you know moving these guys in and out and trying to get a summary from them in the short amount of time that they had. But uh, maybe you want to take us through each one of these, Jose, and then we can make a, a few comments on some of the topics and the angles they were taking in terms of the evolution of their of their stores and where they're going. Sure. So, so uh, briefly, uh, there were three speakers, uh, as you mentioned. The fir- first one is Martin Wild, Chief Innovation Officer of Media Market Saturn Retail Group. Um, they own Saturn Europe, uh, which has revenues of 22 billion euros uh, per year. And this is a German chain of electronic stores. The second person to speak or be interviewed was Gerben Vanderlucht, head of indoor location services for Philip Lighting. And the third person that was interviewed 
and spoke was Joe Jensen, VP, Internet of Things Group and GM of the Retail Solutions Division at Intel. Mm-hmm. And they talked overall about the different innovations that they're bringing to market and how they go about it. Yeah, and 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 let's just be honest here, Martin Wild, he was the wild one out of the three. There you go, didn't they? And he he really just went nuts with the stuff that those guys are doing at Saturn. Um, it kind of made the next two seem a little stale, I guess, because <laughs> of the pace at which Saturn, um, being a store I've never a chain of, of electronic stores I'd never heard of before, and I mean, no surprise considering this, you know, we're in the states, and I don't think you've heard much of them prior to that. Have you? Are you aware of I, Saturn? Yes, yes, you I are. Was. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth, but. It's very. It's interesting how they are, and maybe this is a thing in Europe in general, and perhaps in in Asia also, is the pace at which they're evolving, or the pace at which they're they're trying and failing, or trying and succeeding, is much much faster and more agile than here. It seems they yeah. are. You know, Saturn. Just to name off a few things, and you know, maybe we can dig into a couple of these. They he talked about electronic pricing. Um, I think that's some type of a, you know, uh, some of a, some type of a device or robot or someone that goes around and, and scans tags, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, or I'm getting my robots confused. In-store product locators, digitalization, uh, VR, uh, just cashless stores in general. So there's there's lots of angles being taken there. Um, did you want to dig into any one of those, Jose, that caught your caught your eye? Yeah, I, I, I think um, the, the one that caught my eye would seem like the most let's say basic, but seem like the most powerful, right? Because I'm a big proponent of it need not be the most high technology. It just has to be useful to right. an end consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if that goal is achieved, that's much more powerful than having all the gadgets in the world because that'll ultimately drive revenue. So with that in mind, I thought electronic pricing was pretty neat, right? So there was one component of it where literally you had uh, pricing that changed, in the store so they could rather than having tags that that where the merchandise had a had a tag um it was sectioned off and all you had to do was scan your smartphone over it and not only see the price but you'd also get detailed product information and this is a way of competing against what's online already right because consumers are going to shop around anyway so why not just uh that would be a nice them. thing to have at a best buy right i mean yeah. i'm a frequent best buy goer and uh i am always checking and like everyone else you go there and you see people in aisles with their heads down on their phones you know checking bestbuy.com pricing checking promotional pricing checking amazon um this takes a little bit of that legwork out of it i think it does the work for you in a way it won't fully do it but it does kind of bring a store mm-hmm. store aisle into uh into newer times yeah yeah which is very useful but but that was out of all those was was my uh you know favorite one not 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 plain little plain vanilla but extremely useful how about you which one or which ones did you find most interesting um i mean i thought there was one that was partially interesting and uh there was one i think it was well it was partially interesting in in the end the end of what you receive from doing it, but the process of getting there throughout throughout uh, the experience was kind of bumpy. So it was this experience led by a VR AR type assistant called Paula, 
And what you have to do when you go in the store, and this is the part I didn't like, you go in the store and you put a headset on, in essence, a lighter looking headset than what you see with, you know, mainstream headsets now. So it looks like maybe it's uh, it's definitely a prototype, but it's also a lighter, thinner, less invasive looking headset. So first of all, everyone's probably thinking, oh my God, I would never put a headset on when I walk into a store. My my hair, my lovely hair, what would I do by putting a headset on my head? I'm going to look like an idiot when I, you know, see all these other people in the store and they see how horrible my hair is after I take the headset off. <laughs> anyway, um, so I really like the, what happened, what the, I guess the, the concept um, in the beginning is a little bumpy, meaning you have to put this headset on, you have to engage uh, initially with this, uh, this uh, essentially augmented reality uh, little robot person named Paula who starts buzzing around on your screen in front of you that only you can see, no one else can see. And it takes you over to, and I believe this is what the path was, it takes you over to whatever you're looking for. And then once you get to that product that you're looking for, and this is the part that I like, your heads up display, so your screen, your you, your visor that you have turns into an Iron Man-esque type of experience. And that's the thing that I think is going to be in whatever form it comes in, whether it's augmented reality using our phones or if at some point we do get some type of some type of something where we can seamlessly view this heads up display which brings in extra information that you would normally only find on a web page or find in a forum or find in a deeper specs document or answers all those questions that you might have when you're staring at a you know when you're staring at a new you know pair of shoes or you're staring at a new headset or mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it might might be, it gives you added information that, in the end, will speed the process of purchase. But of mm-hmm. course, like I was saying, man, the the process of getting there and the headset thing is just it's way it's like caveman days for this yeah. kind of thing. So, eh, re- the reality of it, not very real yet. But I, you know, we've been talking about and frankly, we've been bashing VR for a while now in relation to retail because of if it's invasiveness, AR has more potential. But what is that? What is that connection between the augmented reality and our eyeballs? That's right. the big question is how do we get there? So retail hasn't gotten there yet. But these guys are really pushing forward fast. Yeah. And to, and to add to that, right, I mean, um, it, what he mentioned, Martin Wilde, was that they have about 50 pilots going, right? And their success rate is about 15, 50, 50, 50, 50 percent. Mm-hmm. So one in two not bad. That, I'm not sure how you do 50 pilots simultaneously, but I guess they're big enough to be able to do that. And the other thing that he mentioned was, look, we would never get anything done if we were looking for a clear ROI. So he said, if you want to get innovation, so this is all to all our retail uh, listeners, he said, you kind of have to start without the business case and then find the business case once you've started to, to test and iterate. So you start small and if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, um, then you kind of put it by the wayside. But if it does work, refine and continue to test in a bigger, let's say, have a bigger footprint and then take it from there. But but that yeah. seems to be w- w- what their their model is, and which I thought was useful advice when thinking about these things. Yeah, it's certainly a new way of operating. You don't find too many businesses or operations in general that will do much without some type of a tangible ROI, right? I mean, you got to kind of say, it's like, I mean, it's like if you go to Las Vegas, you say, hey, I've got this $500 to bet and to potentially lose. So they're betting large amounts of money and losing half of it on a consistent basis. But I guarantee you, they got to be tracking some type of ROI, at least with the successful ones, right? Uh, of at course. some point. So it's kind of easy to say that then if they're 
it, it, they are succeeding. I don't think they'd be doing this if they weren't succeeding in the end. There's going to be that, you know, that uber successful um, test that they run in something, whether it's electronic pricing that you mentioned that boosts in-store conversions or somehow, you know, boosts margins or whatever. There's going to be some way that they can track this thing and get some money out of it. But I agree with you when they're in that experimental phase, when they're trying to, you know, throw the darts in the, in the dartboard. Yeah, it's kind of hard to put an ROI against that. Yeah, exactly. And, and establish uh, any type of innovation. Right, exactly. And so I think that the, the key takeaway, it's not so much the fact that there is no ROI, to your point, but maybe the the experimentation uh, phase might be short, but ultimately it has to show some promise. Otherwise, it's not going to go into the bucket that says 50% success rate. Right on. Right on. Okay, cool. So uh, the next one about lighting with Philips. Uh, that seems interesting. Uh, wasn't terribly exciting, but it was interesting. Their angle is that they want to make uh, lighting. So lights that we have in our stores have obviously been there for a long time now. Nothing special about them in most stores, at least. But what they want to do, their angle, is that they want to go into the stores and essentially rip out all the old lighting, put in these new smart bulbs that will uh, communicate. Each one will communicate with each other, form a mesh type of network, and be able to understand... Um, Dwell time uh, density down to the down to the foot by foot uh, foot by foot level, um, the pace at which people are moving throughout the store, popular areas, all that kind of stuff, and they want to make the lights of your store, which are the most basic thing that any retailer needs, be the essential nervous system. So that was interesting. Sense, I right? thought, yeah, yeah, yeah it makes sense. I, I thought that was an interesting take. I, I would never ha- would have imagined prior to this particular portion of this track that you could actually or one could actually use lighting uh to track footfall or dwell time density etc yeah i think i think ge's been doing this too they've been doing it with their current initiative um for a while now so it seems like phillips i'm not sure who got to it first but i i think ge was already there doing that part of it so it is a i think it's a what it seems to be is a next is a is a, a means of growth or a means of extending their, you know, their their potential as as an organization. You know, where else can they? How you know, what else can they do outside of selling light bulbs that are just light bulbs, right? Well, let's make them smarter. Not only can they, you know, Philips obviously the most the way that we know Philips is through their Philips Hue, the light the bulbs that change colors, and you can you know adjust. They're already incredibly smart, right? You can adjust how they react to music or react to movies or react to the, you know, um, the time of day or whatever it might be. So this is taking it that multiple steps further, being uh, really intelligent and, and observant. Oh. Sure, yeah. sure. Neat stuff. And and then to finish off this uh, particular segment, the, the last uh, speaker from Intel uh, talked about, I, I, I found, I'd like to hear what you, you, you thought about this particular speaker, but I thought he was quite interesting. And to me, the big takeaway is that the difference between, uh, he didn't use this terminology, but I'll, I'll use it and define it in a second. The difference between digital native companies and legacy companies, which are, let's say, um, digital immigrants, uh, is that they're, two, they're held to two different standards. That means that a company like Amazon, mm-hmm. right, which would be a digital native company, has a completely different P&L and set of expectations from the street when compared to someone like a Target, right? Which is a legacy retailer, is making changes. And even though they've shown, for example, 
three quarters of growth, um, which is over 25%. And they've shown strides, increase in earnings, but because there's a slight decrease in EPS because they take a hit uh, because of increased wages for employees uh, or in-store sales associates as well, they take a hit. And so it's kind of like uh, the standards are, are completely different. And so he made this point that being a legacy retailer uh, is more like having handcuffs on. And it's 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 not quite the same as Amazon, right? Or any other like darling like that. It's a tech company first, uh, which has a different P&L because they don't have the, let's say, um, balance sheet issues of having physical stores, which is kind of like a double-edged sword. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It was an interesting session too. And uh, those are very good points that he made. He's um, He definitely had his, you know, he had his opinion on, on many things <laughs> around that. It was it was kind of neat. So that was, that was a good session. No doubt about it. I'm glad we went to that one. Um, I think they were, all three of them were very interesting. I think Martin Wilde was the more interesting one just just in general because of his, his uh, I don't know, this, just the way he presented it and the way that he was talking about it. He was very excited. Exactly. Yes, he was. <laughs> he was very enthusiastic about <laughs> yeah, it. was great. <laughs> and he had some. He had a great outfit on. I can't remember what it was. I had some really cool clothes on. Anyway, um, <laughs> I guess they all got to look good, right? You had a retail conference. You got to dress nice. So let's let's move on to topic three. Uh, Wonder Twin powers activate. Yo, I used to love the Super Friends. God, I wish wait, they wait, still wait. had that. Oh man, uh, what? Todd, you, you got to redo that. You, you didn't give it enough. Pizzazz. Wonder Twin powers activate. No. There you go. Form of form- yeah yeah. <laughs> form of an ice block. Form of a target and form of a Kroger. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. So we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about grocery. And uh, there was some rumors, some little rumors across that mill about Target and Kroger potentially discussing, theoretically, maybe off the books, (laughs) probably not, a merger. Um, I mean, none of these things are terribly surprising. Maybe we looked at it and thought, okay, that's interesting. Because each of them offers their own benefit to the other, right? Sure. Um, so, you know, the, I guess the high-level take, and I'll let you really dig into the to the, to the guts of this if you want, Jose, is, um, you know, Target has a grocery business. We all know that. Uh, is it doing well? I don't know. I mean, I don't think of grocery when I think of Target, so maybe it could use some improvement. Um, and same with Kroger in terms of merchandise. Um, you know, Kroger is not known for that. However, Kroger Kroger's customers could be more exposed to Target's merchandise. So there's this nice little this little crossover there. But I'm more <laughs> curious as to what exactly are they going to do with this beyond exposing each of their customers to each other, right? Sounds dirty. But I meant like <laughs> exposing like the benefits of their core businesses to each other. That's great. But what are they going to do that's going to help compete with, you know, uh, others such as uh, Instacart, Publix, or uh, some place called Amazon, you know, What's going to happen there? Do you think, Jose, if and when something comes about here, and are we just making a big, a bigger deal out of this than it really could be? I think it's the latter, right? I think we're in an era right now where retailers are looking for ways to to keep themselves relevant, right? As we said at the beginning of the podcast, and this is just another one of those ways it's of perhaps making themselves more relevant to their customers. And I think because just because. Let's say retailers uh, could are having talks. Doesn't mean it's necessarily going to end up in a partnership, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's always good to explore and see. Hey, 
uh, like who knew, for example, uh, if the conversation never took place between Coles and Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Who would have ever thought that they would have partnered up some way or somehow? Which is the way I see this. So it need not end like a Coles Amazon partnership. This could just be ongoing talks to see. Okay, let's just see, kick the tires, see uh, where we might be able to help each other, complement each other. And you know what? If it works, great. And if it doesn't, great. But at least we explored it, and we move forward with it, right? Or not. And in this case, it doesn't sound like uh, they're going to do anything, but. I think that's how the rumors are started, right? <laughs> when mm-hmm. people try to try to uh, just talk through things, uh, but not necessarily have a specific agenda in mind, if you will. Yeah, but it's like when you look at these numbers that are out there, there's some numbers in an article that we'll link in the show notes that are fairly compelling to initiate some type of movement by a Kroger or anyone else that has to compete with Walmart or has to compete with Amazon or any of the major players in grocery, so apparently Walmart holds um, the largest share of the eight hundred billion dollar U.S. grocery market. So that's a thing. Of course, Amazon is scary, but Walmart is scary too when it comes to a uh, when it comes to a Kroger or uh, a Target too. So there's you know when you see these movements that are taking place. So like for example, um, another example is Walmart teaming up with with Google Home to offer the vo- the voice activated home shopping that's creates a bit of a a bit of sticky there of course Amazon offers it through Alexa which makes it a little sticky there um you know Walmart is going to start their grocery delivery service this year to about 40% of US households so that's going to be very interesting to see what happens there they've already got lion's share of the market and they're going to start doing delivery service i mean that's that's scary if I was, again, if I was uh, someone in the executive team at Kroger, I'd want to know, okay, what can we do? Who can we partner with? Or what can we innovate to compete with this? And Target certainly seems like a great option. Sure, sure. I mean, it would be a good good option, but sometimes, as I said, it's just talk. Because let's think about mergers or acquisitions in this case. Mm-hmm. Outside of the world of retail, uh, a lot of uh, things that would say one plus one equals three is just that, not very good math, because ultimately the shareholder value is, is diminished, and the the problem isn't so much the fact that they're not compatible businesses. A lot of the issues really come in to the integration component, right? The organizational, uh, let's say, values, the way companies work. Uh, it, it's not always clear that. Uh, the mergers or acquisitions for that fact yeah. are always adding greater value to everyone right? right because unless maybe if it's a division and you keep it separate okay i i could maybe see that that that, that might be cleaner a cleaner way of managing it and then you could say the usual we're going to provide operational efficiencies to this business which will drive top line growth right. how many times have well we you're sounding that? like the amazon whole foods situation here that's yeah, exactly. what it sounds like right so it's in the end, it, it, it's, I mean, the beginning, it sounds sexy, but in the end, what does it end up being? Just a disruptor? Just a newsmaker? Or did it really do something more than just, you know, boost Amazon's uh, share of grocery? Um, sure. Which maybe not, who knows? Or an expensive experiment. Right. If it's do. not executed well. I mean, I'm not saying that it is. But all I'm saying right. is, jury's still out. But again, they're, to your point, there, there are many possible paths to these things, but it not need end up 
not as a merger or definitive partnership, if you will. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's good news and we love talking about it. Um, so it's great for us. <laughs> so we love it. Keep bringing on the rumors and thank you for all the reporters working at these uh, various news outlets for leaking these things. Just making a stink up. Thank you very much. We will just feed off of, of whatever you put out there. Uh, so, hey, weird news of the week uh, to kind of finish off this this show here. So this whole Toys R Us thing has me sad. I have uh, you also. I know you have memories of Toys R Us. We all have memories of Toys R Us. Hell, I have memories of just taking my kids to Toys R Us. You know, multiple years ago we used to when they were smaller, and it was a blast. You know, you take them there, and it became a you know this great award system of you know you did something great. Let's go to Toys R Us, pick something out. Um, you didn't do something great. You're not going to Toys R Us this weekend to pick something out. Um, that kind of thing. So it be you know obviously it's a it's a family, personal, whatever memory that any American has, right? Yeah. It is it is it is a thing for America. And to see uh, Toys R Us go under like it is going under, um, at least currently, is sad. Although what happens to these retailers when they do go under is that eventually, like Radio Shack or, you know, uh, who else? I mean, just name a, name a retailer that's coming back, uh, Circuit City. They at some point they revitalize themselves, right? They they come back. However, what's happening here is really interesting in this weird news of the week is that there is an actual GoFundMe to save Toys R Us. It's GoFundMe.com/slash/help-save-Toys-R-Us. Some guy started it. Uh, well, the some guy isn't just some guy, is he? So it's you. You, you go ahead, Jose. You could dig deeper into who this some guy is here. Thank uh-huh. you talking about. Sure. So once uh, there are many people who were looking to save Toys R Us. And yeah. among those was billionaire Bratz doll maker Isaac Larian, uh, the, one, one of, the owner of one of the largest toy companies in the country, MGA Entertainment. And what's sad about this to me, to add to what you're saying, is that, you know what, if there is no Toys R Us, I'm no longer a kid. Yeah. Because I've become an adult, which is not fun. I know. It isn't fun. Let's be honest, no. right? Well, some of no. it is. Not. <laughs> some of it is, but nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather be a Toys R Us kid. I want to be a Toys R Us kid too. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. <laughs> so with this GoFundMe campaign, I mean, we, we looked at the website and it was crazy. I mean, $50, you get a bumper sticker. Not sure if I want to put in $50 to get a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> $100 to $500 or $50 to $500, you get like a t-shirt. Uh, not sure where he is today. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that they'll be able to save any. So right now they are at 200 million of of one billion dollar goal. Um, they were around this 190 million ish mark a couple of days ago, I believe, or even Friday. Friday when Friday. we last checked, and um, and and today is March 27th, the date that we're recording in 2018, and it's roughly 200 thousand. They've got a ways to go. Um, that was raised in a matter of five days it looks like mm-hmm. so they have how many days they have 30 days is it doesn't say i think so doesn't say who knows maybe they took the time i don't <laughs> but that's a lot of money yeah and you're, you're right on man you're hitting on these crazy numbers um obviously you're not you're not putting in the funds here to get some amazing return out of it you know you're getting mug, mugs magnet magnets pins um shirts you know, you're getting... <laughs> Heck, I could buy it online on eBay for, from the fire stuff. sale. Yeah. 
<laughs> you get oh here's a fifty thousand dollar one. You get uh you get a hashtag save Toys R Us sticker pin magnet. You get an I'll always be a Toys R Us kid t-shirt. Uh and oh and you get a block party for your friends. So I want that must be a hell of a block party. Fifty K. So That's crazy. Yeah. I mean you, you know, I mean it what's the incentive? I mean, it, it sounds, yeah. I, I get the nostalgia. I'm with you. We both are, are there. We, we have memories, yeah. but I, I, there's not an ROA on this one. For, hey, you've got some, uh, <laughs> you've got some of that Bitcoin money sitting around. Don't know what to do with it. You know, save Toys R Us, will you? <laughs> for God's sakes. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's our weird news of the week. Uh, it's sad to see Toys R Us go bye-bye, but maybe they will be back at some point. That would be very nice. That would be very nice. So, Go to uh, GoFundMe.com slash Help Save Toys R Us if you want to contribute and get your own bump, bumper sticker and mug and shirt or whatever for $50,000. Enjoy. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Questions, comments, feedback. You can email us at BrickDataCast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at BrickDataCast. Same as Instagram, way at BrickDataCast. And also, if you want to listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Stitcher, any of those places you can find us. If you can't find us, please just let us know. Uh, Until next time, everyone, take care. Bye, everyone.